Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Five people are dead and many more injured after a shooting in Colorado over the weekend. We hear from Colorado Springs police who gave an update on the situation. In the wake of midterm election turmoil in Arizona, Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake sends a message to Americans. She plans to keep on fighting. Arizona's Maricopa County election officials have come under fire for tabulator problems at several voting locations. But a recent election observer's memo indicates that the problems may be more widespread than the county reported. And a retired U.S. Navy captain weighs in on election narratives. How a warfare strategy used by the Chinese Communist Party may also be influencing the political strategies used in campaigns here in the U.S. The Walt Disney Company is bringing back their former CEO. He says he's optimistic, even though the company's stock has dropped more than 40% in the last year. Community members in Colorado Springs are mourning the death of five people today, two days after the deadly shooting at a nightclub. Colorado Springs police gave an update on the situation just a few minutes ago, saying they're working with the FBI to get a better understanding of the case. The FBI has been a great partner through this, and they have set up a, a tip line for us. Anybody with information, if they were um, there, they have video, they were driving by, uh, they might know information about the suspect. Anything at all, no matter how small or insignificant they believe it might be, uh, could we please call and let us know about that? On Saturday night, 22-year-old Anderson Lee Aldrich allegedly fired a semi-automatic AR-15 firearm at Club Q in Colorado Springs, killing five and injuring 18. He was overwhelmed by patrons who reportedly hit him with his own gun. He was then arrested by police, who arrived within minutes. Early Monday morning, the town's mayor spoke on the patrons who attacked the gunman. You know, if this had gone on for several minutes more, and that heroic action had not been taken, I can only imagine how many more fatalities we might have had. Around 18 months ago, the shooter allegedly threatened his mother with a homemade bomb, forcing neighbors in surrounding homes to evacuate while the bomb squad and crisis negotiators talked him into surrendering. This clip from the standoff is now resurfacing. If they breach, I'm going to fucking blow it to holy hell. So uh, go ahead and come on in, boys. Let's fucking see it. Some gun control advocates are now criticizing that neither police nor relatives tried to trigger Colorado's red flag law. It would have allowed authorities to seize the weapons and ammo the man's mother said he had with him. President Biden on Sunday tweeted about the possible cause of the shooting saying, while no motive in this attack is yet clear, we know that gun violence has a particular impact on LGBTQI plus communities across our nation. The gunman is currently in the hospital. He faces five murder charges and five charges of committing a bias-motivated crime causing bodily injury. The charges are preliminary and come from online court records on Monday. Prosecutors have not yet filed in court. The hate crime charges would require proving that the gunman was motivated by bias. Colorado has experienced several mass killings, including at Columbine High School in 1999, a movie theater in suburban Denver in 2012, and at a Boulder supermarket last year. 
Some compare this shooting to a 2016 massacre at a gay nightclub in Orlando, which killed 49 people. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Tragic news. Turning now to elections. Today, Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake sent a message to the people of Arizona and all Americans. She vowed to keep on fighting. The 2022 general election in Arizona was botched and broken beyond repair. This isn't about Republicans or Democrats. This is about our sacred right to vote, a right that many voters were sadly deprived of on November 8th. Lake thanks Arizona's attorney general for opening an investigation into the reported printer and tabulator problems that occurred in Maricopa County on Election Day. She said tens of thousands of people have pleaded with her to, quote, fight this fight. Lake assured the people that she would fight to save the country and continue the fight until confidence and faith are restored in our elections. And also in Arizona, a Republican attorney who witnessed the voting process indicates Election Day problems may have been more widespread than previously reported. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. These are the ballots, in-person ballots yesterday that were not read into the tabulator. We have approximately 17,000 of those ballots that were in box three. That's Arizona's Maricopa County Supervisor the day after the 2022 midterm election. He explained that only 7% of the ballots were affected by reported tabulator printer problems in approximately 20% of the voting locations. But after receiving hundreds of complaints and first-hand witness accounts, the State Attorney General's Election Integrity Unit opened an investigation. In a November 19 letter, the AG's office said the complaints raised concerns regarding Maricopa's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. In the letter, it states that Maricopa County election officials reported problems in at least 60 voting locations. But a report written by a Republican attorney who observed the voting process indicates the problems may have been more widespread. On election day, attorney Mark Sonnenklar, along with several other Republican attorneys, monitored voting locations. Ten attorneys visited a total of 115 voting centers. Sonnenklar reports that 72 of the 115 centers, or about 63 percent, had significant tabulator problems. He said tabulators were not tabulating votes, causing voters to either deposit their ballots into box three or spoil their ballot and revote. I tried it 13 times every which way you could. The people were helping me and it would not read. He said some voters got frustrated with the long lines and left. The county supervisor maintained voters could have put their ballots in box three and have them counted later but they chose to listen to somebody else. A lot of leaders in one of the political parties that was literally going out there and saying the absolute opposite to their voters. He said a certain political party published a graphic and told voters not to put their ballot in box three. The Western Journal reports that Sonnenklar's letter may be used by Republican candidate Carrie Lake's campaign to file a lawsuit against the county. Gates says he's not concerned about lawsuits from losing candidates. But he told Fox News he's concerned about his safety. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And over the weekend, Republicans gathered in Las Vegas for the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual leadership meeting. The crowd applauded former President Trump's Israel accomplishments, but some Republicans questioned his third presidential run. 
NTD's Arlene Richards again with an update on this report. As the host of the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual leadership meeting announced its next speaker, members of the audience reacted. Ladies and gentlemen, 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. The host warmly thanked the former president. Let me just say up front, Mr. President, you are here among friends. We are so deeply grateful and appreciative for all that you have done for this country and for the American-Israel relationship. Among other accomplishments for the U.S.-Israel relationship, Trump recognized Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel and built an American embassy there. As we have said many times before, Israel has never had a better friend in the White House than were you sitting in, in that Oval Office. So we thank you, Mr. President, very, very much. Former Vice President Mike Pence also honored Trump's accomplishments. Let me say what an extraordinary privilege it was to be Vice President in the most pro-Israel administration in American history. But the night wasn't all about praising Trump. Some Republicans hinted about running for president. We don't need more politicians who love to go on TV and talk about our problems. We need real leaders with a record of delivering solutions. And between us, I'm just getting started. Some blamed Trump for Republicans' problems. We keep losing and losing and losing. And the fact of the matter is the reason we're losing is because Donald Trump has put himself before everybody else. And some spoke about the secret to success. I think what the election results in Florida show is, you know, Florida really has a blueprint for success. And I think some of the things that we do that work are, uh, we're all about exercising leadership and delivering results for the people that we represent. Other attendees said all of these comments signal that the 2024 presidential campaign has begun. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And as U.S. presidential candidates plan their strategies, we turn now to a retired U.S. Navy captain for a military view of political campaigns. According to his reckoning, a strategy used by the Chinese Communist Party to wage non-kinetic war is also being used here in the U.S. and in U.S. politics. I spoke with Stu Swerk earlier today. Stu Swerk, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, in a recent Epic Times article, you said that Democrats are using Chinese Communist-style strategies to shape political narratives. You said that in the U.S. as part of this strategy, Americans have been primed to automatically distrust former President Trump as well. Could you elaborate on that? The Democrat Party has uh, taken to the Chinese three warfare strategy. Three warfare strategy consists of three pieces, psychological warfare, legal warfare, and media warfare. The Democrat Party has used three warfares against uh, Donald Trump for over six years now. Uh, con consider all of the different legal warfare aspects that have been applied to him. How many, how many times has, be, has he been investigated uh, by the attorney general in New York? The most, most recently, due to the FBI raid of uh, Mar-a-Lago, looking for documents, supposedly, and all of the and everything in between there having to do with his financial uh, 
arrangements, uh, as emoluments clause violations that got thrown out of court. I mean, he, the Democrats have been trying to get him legally for a long time. And they've also been using uh, a lot of uh, psychological warfare against him, too, in terms of uh, casting aspersions that he is guilty of things like Russian collusion or making a bad quid pro quo phone call with uh, with Ukraine and so forth and so on to, to set in the minds of the body popul pop politic in, uh, in the U.S. that everybody would think that he's somehow a crook or evil or whatnot. And, and even though some of these things have been, been disproven over time, he has, he has he is still believed by by a, a large segment of the U.S. to be a criminal and to actually still be guilty of Russian collusion, of all things. Now, you've said that the Democrats have been using the midterms to try to thwart Trump's 2024 campaign and that they're using the three warfare strategy to do it. That is correct. Uh, they used the six-odd years of anti-Trump media warfare and psychological warfare and legal warfare to get working in concert with, e with, with each other to create an atmosphere where there's a large segment of people who simply do not trust anything that Trump says, and they're willing to believe any new thing that comes up that the Democrats and the media push uh, with respect to Trump's criminality, supposedly, or, or whatnot. And that has been a, a major part of the, uh, the Democrats' 2022 uh, narratives the other two being, uh, you know, saving our democracy from so-called uh, insurrectionists and J6 people and supporters of Trump. That's kind of a blending of the anti-Trump narrative that they've had with, with something that they've been pushing that is kind of a euphemism to, to take away from the real problems that Americans feel, namely the economy and, and uh, the price of gasoline and, and such. Because Democrats can't run on that, they, so they they conjured up this notion that uh, saving our democracy and saving it from Trump supporters is the way was the way to go. And if you, if you throw in the, the abortion narrative on top of that, which was also a something that Americans were not as concerned about as the main economic related topics and issues going into the campaign. And you, you can see that, that that is what the media and the Democrats pitched, you know, for six or seven months leading up to the election. So based on your understanding of psychological, legal, and media warfare, what do you think needs to happen to make political battles fair in the U.S.? I'm not sure that there's anything that can be done at this point in time because the legacy media, the corporate media, if you will, are, are essentially all controlled by Democrat-supporting interests. I'm not sure what else we can do other than to turn to independent, independent media sources, such as NTD, Epic Times, you need to subsidize and, and you, get, you need to consume news from all sources so that you get all views, but you, you probably want to spend a lot more time in, on the independent networks, on the independent reporting than, than we presently done because the legacy media is, cannot be trusted, in my opinion. All right, food for thought. Thanks so much, Stu Swerk, retired U.S. Navy captain. Appreciate your time. Happy to have contributed. And as Thanksgiving approaches, the White House celebrates the holiday season. NTD's Iris Tao has the story on Biden's turkey pardoning. Kicking off Thanksgiving week at the White House, President Biden pardoning a pair of Thanksgiving turkeys. That marks the 75th anniversary of this most American of traditions. Chocolate, you are pardoned. 
you are partisan. You had to tell me that? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm serious. Do you want to talk? Uh, yeah. And the two lucky birds come from North Carolina, and they're named Chocolate and Chip. And in case you're wondering what's happening to them next, of course they won't end up on your dining table because they are pardoned. Instead, they'll live out the rest of their lives at North Carolina State University's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. And before they head back, they'll be enjoying some luxurious accommodations at a hotel in the nation's capital. And here's Biden's message to Americans. Thank God to be grateful for what we have. That's what the Thanksgiving tradition is all about. And grateful for fellow Americans who we may never meet, but who will be, who, there you go. Meanwhile, President Biden also touched on the midterm elections, dismissing what was expected to be a red wave. The only red wave this season is going to be a German Shepherd commander knocks over the cranberry sauce on our table. And after the ceremony, President Biden, First Lady Jill Biden, are heading to North Carolina, where they'll be having a Friendsgiving with troops and their families. From the Biden family to all of yours, happy Thanksgiving, and may God bless you all. And Biden will spend the rest of the week in Nantucket, Massachusetts, where he'll be celebrating Thanksgiving with his family. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tau, NTD News. And President Biden just turned 80 this past Sunday, becoming the first octogenarian to ever serve as the president. Should he run in 2024 and win, he would be 86 at the end of a second term. And in entertainment-related news, the Walt Disney Company announced that they are bringing back their former CEO. This comes as Disney stock plunged over 40% in the last year. And TD's Jason Perry has that story. On Sunday, the Walt Disney Company announced they are bringing back former CEO Bob Iger to lead the company effective immediately. Iger, who was CEO of Disney for 15 years, will be taking over for Bob Chapek, who led the company for about the last three years. Chapek was seen previously in what appears to be a video to Disney employees. By now, I hope you've all read my most recent note, in which I pledged to be a better ally for the LGBTQ plus community, apologize for not being the ally that you needed me to be, and committed to ensuring that our company lives up to its values. A recent Disney cartoon movie included a lesbian kissing scene, and a Disney TV series showed a transgender person buying tampons. Disney is a brand for kids. I spoke with Scott Shepard, fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research. And it's come out and said, well, we're going to have a not at all secret gay agenda, and we're going to include that in, in stuff for the very youngest of kids. And and we're going to push all of the hard left uh, principles and, and uh, the notion that white supremacy uh, is, is the motivating factor of, of most Americans' behavior, all of this woke left-wing nonsense. And then they're surprised when um, the results are crashing stock prices. Shepard said things won't be much different now that they've rehired their former CEO, Bob Iger. Iger said in a statement, I am extremely optimistic for the future of this great company and thrilled to be asked by the board to return as its CEO. Iger is planning to work for Disney for two years, and he said he plans to work closely with the board to find a successor. Jason Perry, NTD News. 
And in California, despite having a record-high $98 billion budget surplus this year, the state is heading into 2023-24 with a $25 billion projected budget deficit or worse. According to a report released by the Legislative Analyst's Office, or LAO, lower tax revenues will lead to a budget deficit. On Wednesday, LAO announced the budget problem is mainly attributable to lower revenue estimates, which are lower than Budget Act projections from 2021-22 through 2023-24 by $41 billion. California is losing income taxes by billions of dollars as the top earners leave the state. The once booming tech industry is seeing layoffs and hiring freezes while large companies are moving out of the state altogether. High inflation, rising interest rates and fear of a recession could also further impact the state's economy. But the $25 billion deficit estimate is technically optimistic. The LAO's analysis did not factor in inflation or a recession. They said, while our lower revenue estimates incorporate the risk of a recession, they do not reflect a recession scenario. According to the analysis, a recession could put the state's revenue, quote, $30 billion to $50 billion below. The LAO warned the upcoming legislation to be ready for budget problems that could be twice as large as their current outlook. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. Section 230, a controversial part of federal law that regulates the Internet. Many say we should get rid of it so we can hold social media companies accountable. But that's not so easy. We hear from two experts. Section 230 is a controversial federal law that regulates certain aspects of social media and the Internet. It was passed in 1996 and is one of the pillars on which the Internet grew into what it is today. It's also part of the reason social media companies can censor certain users. Mike Davis is the founder and president of the Internet Accountability Project. He says Congress now has a golden opportunity to break up the tech giants. So there is a rare bipartisan window of opportunity with 60 votes in the Senate and a majority in the House and a president, President Biden, who are willing to rein in big tech by updating our century-old antitrust laws. Davis doesn't believe Section 230 should be revoked completely, but he says antitrust laws should be amended so that tech companies couldn't acquire each other and would have to compete for users instead. If Google competed against YouTube instead of acquired YouTube, there is very little chance that YouTube would have censored a sitting senator, medical doctor, policymaker, Senator Rand Paul, over his uh, comments he made about COVID measures, comments that ended up being correct. Section 230 also provides tech companies with immunity from liability for the content users post. Andrew Selipak is a professor of social media at the University of Florida. He says the internet as we know it would no longer exist without Section 230. And this would affect everything from the cable companies that provide us our internet service. It would impact dating apps. It would impact Amazon. It would impact social media. It would impact um, any travel apps that you might use, like TripAdvisor. Because these platforms would then have to regulate, they'd have to moderate every piece of content that was shared. They'd have to moderate every post. Selipak says it's hard to find a solution to the problem of the power held by social media companies. But he also says that stopping big tech companies from buying each other might keep them from becoming even more powerful than they already are. I mean, Facebook's where it is because they purchased WhatsApp, they purchased Oculus, they purchased Instagram, they tried to purchase Snapchat. 
You can see the full interviews in the latest episode of The Nation Speaks on NTD.com and Epoch TV. Coming up in World Cup news, the U.S. team was in action today against Wales, looking for their first win in eight years. Stay tuned for the details. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Tar Heels are still number one. North Carolina is now 4-0 on the brief season, but will face their first big test next week when they play at 11th ranked Indiana. While the Heels stayed on top of the latest AP poll, the rest of the top 10 was reshuffled after losses by Gonzaga, Kentucky, Duke, and Baylor. Moving up to second was Houston, followed by Kansas, Texas, and Virginia. Gonzaga, Baylor, and Duke, meanwhile, fell to 6th, 7th, and 8th, while Arkansas and Creighton round out the top 10. But back to Virginia, the Cavs jumped from 16th to 5th after wins against Baylor and Illinois in the Las Vegas main event. This came just days after the tragic campus shooting that left three dead. And speaking of that tragedy, one of the survivors of the UVA shooting, running back Mike Hollins, who was shot in the back, has been discharged from the hospital. Hollins' mom tweeted the good news this morning, saying, quote, I want to thank everyone for their prayers, text messages, and calls. This has truly been a test of faith, and I'm grateful. Hollins' mom previously said that her son told her that he yelled for the bus driver to stop when he realized gunshots had been fired. After escaping the bus, he then ran back to make sure everyone got off as well. But just when he reached the first step of the bus, he encountered the gunman. He was then shot as he turned to run away. And for your sports viewing the schedule this evening, eight NBA games are on the docket, including one with the Boston Celtics, who have the league's best record taking on Chicago Bulls. And in the NHL, 10 games are on tap for this evening with the red-hot New Jersey Devils, winners of 12 straight games, hosting the Edmonton Oilers. And finally, for you NFL fans, the Arizona Cardinals host the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. And that's a wrap. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And an update from the World Cup. The U.S. played to a one-to-one -one draw today against Wales. Tim Weah scored the lone goal for Team USA on a pass from Christian Pulisic in the 36th minute. Wales tied the game on a penalty kick late in the match. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.